in three, two, one. Ready to take your career to the next level? Need some strategies to get your book written and most importantly published? My guest, D. Orlando Fortune, or Fortune as he likes to be called, is a master when it comes to storytelling and has a unique perspective on entrepreneurship, having transitioned from pro-level baseball to government accountant and to the world of self-publishing. Fortune's approach is centered around storytelling as he understands the importance of connecting with your audience and standing out from the crowd. Join me now for my conversation with D. Orlando Fortune. Well, hey, Orlando, welcome to the program. We're delighted to have you. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to get out here and talk about being preferred. All right. Where are we talking to you from today? Where are you at? Honestly, it's usually in Indianapolis. I'm in my grandma's truck down in Mississippi right now, but we are getting it done down here visiting some family for a week. Now, you just had some storms. You just had some storms go through there and some tornadoes. Did that have any impact on where you are? Luckily, we've been blessed to not really have it where my grandma is. She lives out in the sticks. And a quick story there, on the way down here from Indianapolis, we normally would have basically come right through where that storm was coming through. But right. because I had to go pick up my sister, meet her in Tennessee, we bypassed the storm, went right around the storm by accident, or I should say by God's divine intervention, it got us around that storm and got us here safely to my grandma's house. Wow. Yeah, no, it's it's been a little scary. The weather's certainly been interesting this year, that's for sure. Hey, well, thanks. And I know you go by Fortune. We're delighted to have you on the program and talk about uh, self-publishing and copywriting. And you've written a great book called The 4-Hour Book. And I want to get mm-hmm. into some of the details. And most importantly, you've got a process. And I want to get into the process of that. But let's talk about how you got here. So Orlando mm-hmm. is a young lad. You're going to school. I know you went to college. You've worked on your master's. You're working on a PhD, your graduate study. Mm-hmm. You've got an interesting story. Give us a little background and then how you got to where you are now. Oh, excellent. So I went to college on a full athletic scholarship. So I went there with hopes of playing professional ball. At some point, I got burnt out. You were a baseball player. You were a baseball player. You were a baseball player. Yes, sir. And I got to my senior year. And when I graduated there, I got opportunity to go play for the Montreal Expos. I just kind of burnt out from baseball for some reason. So I ended up going and working for the government. And I was a government accountant. Uh, those two words are like an oxymoron. They actually should never be that close. <laughs> right. <laughs> so working for them, I was using your tax dollars to learn about how to get wealthy. So I was reading these books on how to buy real estate, how to get into stocks and all those things. And I started figuring out that I did not need to be working for anybody in order for me to do the things I truly wanted to do. So I started getting into real estate investing, started making some good money. And that good money actually led me into more partying and taking me from the poor man's drugs to the rich man's drugs. Going down that route, my life started changing very, very, very quickly as I started using more cocaine. And it took me to the point where I was doing things I never thought that I was going to do in my life. Now, going that route, ended up facing 12 years of prison for five felonies I committed in one year. Now, these weren't crimes where I was like beating people up or any stuff like that. I was like stealing. Sure. Pay for the habit. Right. Yeah. Paying for the habit, things of that nature. And I kept getting caught. And sitting there in jail for nine months, wondering if I was going to go to prison or if there's going to give me another chance to change, I decided to take things into my own hands and change my life Mm. for good this time. Because I had already been learning about personal development. I knew all that stuff. I just wasn't applying it to my life the right way because the drugs had distracted me from the path I was on. 
So I wrote my first book in there. Well, I wrote the outline for my first book. It was on like a yellow legal pad paper. Right, right. I had a folded in half. I drew a little cover on the outside. And I wrote down the initial 12 principles I want to write about that became my first book, Unlimited Potential. Now, from that book, I ended up writing another book on how to overcome procrastination. And because I took that second book and I had an idea for overcoming procrastination, I said, what's the best way to market this book? What if I write this book and publish it in 30 days? Then I prove how to overcome procrastination by using the principles of the book. So I did that. But in order for me to do that, I had to create a process that was streamlined in order for me to do this, 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 and get it all done in 30 days. Right. That process became what is now the signature book formula. And that's what I really focus on is helping coaches and consultants right. to write money-making branded books to help them grow their businesses. Well, and you say you turn entrepreneurs and consultants and experts with a message into wealthy authors and, yes, and you help them write their first book. So why do you recommend that entrepreneurs and professionals write a book in their particular area of expertise? Why do you recommend that? First and foremost, it's because of my man, Zig Ziglar, who said that everyone should write a book. And when I heard that, I was riding around in a truck, putting out signs, those bandit signs on the side of the road, trying to direct people towards mobile home, to the new model homes. So when he said that, I paused like, yes, I should write a book. And here's what Ziglar did. He then said, but not everyone should publish. <laughs> so write, so the book, <laughs> write the book for therapy, but hey, you might want to keep See, it in the doors. So yeah. two pieces of it. Yeah. And so that's one of the things that I've learned, even through my own podcast, Wealthy Author Podcast. One of my questions I ask my authors is, what have you learned from writing separate from like the whole writing process? What have you learned? And there's so many things about being very clear about what my message is, yeah. being very clear about what my process is and actually getting better and honing about who my actual audience is, who I'm speaking to. Because of that process, you can't have a follow-up question in the book. Once you write the book, whatever's out there, that's what it is. So it needs to be able to answer the question clearly enough that people don't ask, what did you mean by that? They're asking, how do I get your services? How do I connect with you? That's an interesting take on it. And it's funny you should say that the clarity that you get from actually writing down the details in the book make a difference. Mm -hmm. Some people, if they're musicians and songwriters, say like Elton John, he writes the music. He hears music first. He has a partner who writes the words. Some people, it's the reverse of that. The words come before the music. For me, I write my books after I've developed the talk. So the talk goes, mm -hmm. but I found, for instance, my main marquee talk, if you will, Becoming Preferred, which is what the podcast is named after. When I wrote the mm -hmm. book, the book actually didn't make sense writing it the way I gave the talk. It was actually reversed. I'm looking at it, this doesn't make any sense. And yet, so it caused me to change some things in my talk because it wasn't structured or layered right. So the clarity you get mm -hmm. and that creativity using both sides of your brain make a difference. So that's an excellent point. Now, your recent book called The 4-Hour Book, the latest one, helps mm -hmm. people and professionals get those book ideas out of their head and onto paper. Tell, mm -hmm. us, tell us more about that. So here's the thing. As you spoke about the speaking, there's a lot of people, or especially our experts, or they're having service businesses that they start off as small business owners. So they got really good at selling and understanding what they needed to say. And I have figured out that writing books is one of the best ways of marketing what you're trying to say to pre-qualify people for your services. It also helps build you hear about the no like, and trust factor. And there's different sides to the no like, and trust factor, because I don't have to know, like, and trust you for you to right. sell me a car. Right. <laughs> okay. Right. So there's plus and minus to it. But when we're talking about services, when I'm going to help you be, especially like coaches and so forth, I need to trust you. I do need to like you. I need to like trust you in order to give you my personal information to make these changes. So I had to figure out what I wanted to do is help people to get those ideas they've been talking to about, been selling and helping people get results from. How do I get that out of your head 
very, very quickly. And similar to what you just talked about having your talk, what I found out is people don't typically have a talking problem. They don't have talkers block, if you will, right? But they, <laughs> tend to have block, is, right. they tend to have writer's block. And I no longer believe really in writer's block. Right. I believe that is poor preparation. So you need to have the right process, which is what I created in the signature book formula, where you do get your ideas out of your head in a way that people understand. There's two simple things that I talk about that focus on the brain, the way your brain works. It's the zygarnic effect, and it is the intuitive elaboration. And real quickly, the zygarnic effect is why you can't stop thinking about an answer to something that you already know the answer to. Like, what is the name of an actor in this certain movie? I typically always forget the name of the actor, but right. my brain doesn't shut off until a day, two days later, maybe a week later, all of a sudden I remember who it is. So we're going to use that. Number two, the intuitive elaboration is when someone asks you a question, your brain, if you notice, if you're doing something and someone asks you a question, you notice how you forget what you're doing and you focus specifically on answering that question. Your brain shuts down all the other t- activities to focus on that question. So I'm going to use both of those and help when you write your book using what I call a four brain strategy. Going to brain dump, get all the information out of your head, organize that using brain maps, put it into an outline form, which I call brain maps because we're talking about brains. I had to make right, it all right. brain, 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 brain. So, right. And then we fill in flesh in the outline a little bit, fill in those blank the spots that are missing. And then we turn those into what I call brain prompts. Mm. So now a brain prompt is a question. So when I answer my questions, I automatically have the answer. When I ask you a question, it's easier to look at that blanket cursor and just answer a question. And I want you to stop somewhere in around whatever your marker is for the amount of time you want to write or the amount of words you want to write, because that then kicks in the zygarnic effect, because you're stopping in mid-sentence or mid-thought. When you come back to writing the next day, your brain is still working, just like it was still answering that question about who the actor was in that one movie. That's Those interesting. Are two ways I hope you're, you're creating a loop. You're creating an open loop. Yes. And yes. that way they have to come and finish the loop and your brain goes to work on that. It's interesting you say that. I started journaling this last year and yep. what I found if I sit and look at the blank screen, talk about writer's block, it's like, dear diary. My day was, I started with eggs, you know, really? Like mm-hmm. who wants to read this crap? So I created five questions which yep. I use as my template and I ask those questions. I start with, what am I grateful for? First question. Well, now I have to answer the question. What do I want Mm -hmm. to accomplish today? What did Mm -hmm. I set out to accomplish that I procrastinated or didn't do? You know, so Mm -hmm. I have these questions. What am I going to do to strengthen my relationships today? And when you ask a very specific question to your point, which is, I think is a great tip, ask the questions and then answer the questions that maybe the potential reader would have or the problem. So start with the problem, Mm -hmm. open the loop and then Mm -hmm. come back to it. And then, like I say, pay justice to it. But if you're done, you're done. Move on to the next point. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, writer's block is definitely something we hear about, and I think you explained that well. When it comes to publishing a book, is it really yep. in today's world, like in my day when we started, we did books and they help establish trust and credibility and authority. Oh, absolutely. But is it really a way to make money or a better way to position yourself as an expert in the field or can it be, can it be both? Is there a better way? I don't know about being a better way. I don't know about there being a better way. There's something as good and I will be speaking, being speaking in front of the front of the stage. Yeah. But I put it like this. Two people speaking at the front of the stage on the same topic. One of them is an author. One of them isn't. Which one are you going to give more respect to? That's right. And when when I show up in front of a CEO or an executive, I'll walk in and the first thing I do is I grab a couple of my books and I pull them out and I said, listen, I've written a couple of books. I took the liberty Mm -hmm. of bringing you a couple. And this is before we Mm -hmm. start the conversation. And I bring out my Sharpie and I said, is it okay if I personalize it for you? And then I simply just say, it's not worth anything until I die, sort of like a Dolly painting. 
and they, they usually <laughs> chuckle and smile and I personalize it and give it to them. Well, by doing that, I've just established trust and credibility. I've just invoked a trigger of reciprocity. They're less likely to try and beat me up. And mm -hmm. to your point, I'm miles ahead of the next guy they're looking at, Absolutely. like whoever they're competing with. At the end of the day, we're competing against ourselves and others. And so we need to mm -hmm. stand out and differentiate ourselves. And this is a great tool to do it. Absolutely. And one other thing you did that, I don't know if you noticed that, Michael, when you have that little bit of laughter, two things there. One, when you open the mouth and laughter, it's time for you to put a spoonful of wisdom in there. It's That's one of those old sayings. I'm brutalizing, but that's basically what it is. But the point. other part of it is, psychologically speaking, it's impossible for you to hate someone you've laughed with. We've been connected on a different level. I don't know if you knew that, but that's a whole other thing. The simple tip, the simple thing you've been doing, kind of like through process of sales and so forth, you pick that thing up, but that's another piece in there that you're doing also. No, that makes sense. This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions, featuring Active Campaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? Active Campaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e-commerce, B2C and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. Active Campaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose Active Campaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the Active Campaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. And now back to my conversation with D'Arlando Fortune. Now, how is self-publishing a viable option versus traditional publishing? So there's two parts to this question. One, getting the book done is getting the book done, getting right. it out there and release. So that's the first thing. So there's really not too much big difference there. The biggest difference is whether you want to be connected to that big traditional publisher. Because in today's market, you do not have to have a traditional publisher because of Jeff Bezos <laughs> making it so easy. He's one of the big names, okay? Let me say that because right. over 70% of the books that are bought are purchased through Amazon, physical and digital, okay? So there's a big reason why I say that. But the barriers to being out there getting published are almost gone completely. There are people publishing pamphlets of like 20 pages on Amazon and getting making lots of money from them, okay? So the barriers to putting a book out there are low which also makes it more difficult to sell your book self-publishing because traditional publishers tend to vet their books and make sure they're of a certain quality to go out there. Whereas self-publishing, there are some bad books out there, Michael. There are some bad books out there because people got told you can write a book in 30 days and they didn't learn how to actually develop a right. message. Right. They didn't learn the value of having an editor. They didn't learn the value of having someone else, even after the editor, a proofreader to read it again these different perspectives and knowing what the market wants. They're publishing what they want. So that's a bad part about self-publishing. The other side of that is all the things that are available to almost everything that's available to a traditional publisher are available to you now because of the contract, because of the gig economy to go find the editors, find the graphic artists, find an audience, a beta group to go put your books in front of to get their feedback, to go out there. And the things that you need to do for a traditional publisher, like going out and doing the marketing, you have to do all that stuff and make your book sell. And then a traditional publisher will come behind you and say, I'm going to support you now that you've actually proven that you know how to market. Yeah, so exactly. You can go do it yourself. Yeah, while you're doing it for them, you might as well do it for yourself. And people don't realize the dollars involved. A traditional publisher, in a traditional sense, you're lucky to get a buck a book. 
And yeah. you got to go to all these book signings and you're the only one sitting in the bookstore with people walking by with the table full of stacked books, right? It's like, that's awful. And, or you're the only one in the movie theater watching your movie and you're going, hmm. Yeah. yeah. To, that, to that point about your numbers, Michael, because of that dollar, you may sell more books over time. When you go to traditional publish, you typically sell somewhere around like 3,000 books. Yeah. The average is 5,000. Okay. I just saw a stat on this. 5,000. That's average. Yeah. There you go. But you're still only getting like a dollar, maybe $2 a book. Right. So over the course of that, you still only made like $10,000. I can go sell 500 books at $20 for myself and make the same amount. Exactly. <laughs> okay. No. So yeah. if I sell 5,000 books at the self-published, I made multiple times the amount of money that you did. Okay. So there's also people think about you're getting this upfront advance from a traditional publisher. Well, most books don't make back their advance. So you're not getting any more money until you make back your advance. And if they gave you $10,000 and you only sell 5,000 books, you haven't made back your advance. You're not getting any more money. Or any more book deals. Yeah. <laughs> any like, more book deals either, right. No, unless you're a scandalous politician or you've got some juicy <laughs> bits to do, you're not going to get the million dollar. You're not going to get the... Yeah, the average is about five to $15,000 for first time unknown authors. Yeah, yeah. My mother wrote a book, and this is a perfect example. She wrote her first book back in the 70s. And mm -hmm. I said to her, I was in marketing and I thought, Hey, you know what? You're lucky you have a son who can help you with the marketing. Let's, let's send <laughs> it off and we'll go do our thing. We sent it off to 17 different publishers and they all declined mm -hmm. it, said, no, 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 no. And she was a little discouraged. So we said, okay, well, let's do it ourselves. Well, we mm -hmm. went doing ourselves and I went around, I said, Hey, I'm a pretty good sales guy. I'm in my twenties. So I knock on doors, bookstores, and I'd say, Hey, here's this lovely book. And the books were done beautifully. They look great. And mm -hmm. they'd say, well, give us two, give us three. Give us two. Yep. At the end of the first week, I was exhausted. I was going broke, getting rich. <laughs> and it was like, man, this is brutal. So I thought there's got to be a better way. And mm -hmm. back then we had AT&T calling cards. And I got 100 yep. calling cards with numbers on them. And mm -hmm. I called 100 people in our network, friends. And I said, here's what I want you to do. Here's 100 of the top bookstores in the country. I want you mm -hmm. to simply just call, say, hey, well, you've heard about this book. Do you guys carry it? That's all That's I want you to ask. Marketing. That's all I want you to do is ask. I've heard about it. heard it's good. Do you guys carry it? That's all it's good to say. Not if you have one, hold one for me. Not anything. To, just do you have it? They mm -hmm. did that. So a hundred people times a hundred stores. I then showed up within a week or two and I'd say, Hey, I represent this book. And they said, Oh, we're so glad you showed up. Our phone's been ringing off the hook. We'll take 24. We'll take 48. Long story short, it went national bestseller in six weeks. And yeah, we sold up? over 50,000 copies of that thing. And, and since I've done hundreds of thousands of copies of that book. So mm -hmm. you've got to be creative for sure. And lightning won't strike twice, but, and you build up your audience, right? Oh, absolutely. Let's talk about when you're writing the book and you get the writer's block, a lot of people say, well, look, how much time do you spend on it on a daily basis? I find mm -hmm. I can do 250 words a day, usually no problem, yep. a page a day, yep. page a day. Yep. And what I've learned for me in the process is just content first, get it out. Don't edit. Mm -hmm. No editing the first day. No going back and rewriting. I just get the bones out first. Then I come mm -hmm. back and go, boy, that was crap. Or, hey, this is really good. I got an idea here. Let's keep working. Do you have a process for that as well that you teach? Yeah. And when it comes to that, the writing, actual writing of the content, yes. I either tell people to focus on the time they're writing or the number of words. I prefer that. And the reason why I'd say I prefer the number of words is because you can sit on the blank screen for, say you're going to write for 30 minutes every day. Right. You can sit on the blank screen and do nothing for 25 minutes. So you write for the last five minutes. You haven't really got as much done. But if you have a word count, if your word count is take 250 words, you might write that in 10 minutes. It might take you an hour. But as soon as you're done, you move on. 
Time okay. to go. Yeah. So I like the word count a little better because it's actual progress. You're knowing you get that. You can see that progress moving forward. To your point about we're getting the words out of your head, I prefer people to write without editing. The way it's thought of is you have the right side of the brain, left side of the brain. Again, we don't know everything specifically, but that's what we believe. Okay. So our left side of the brain is the analytical part of our brain. That's kind of what we're doing. When we're going in critiquing our work, editing it. Right. The right side of the brain is about that creative stuff. And that's what you're doing when you're writing the book. You're creating the content. So switching between the left side and the right side of the brain is tedious and creates a lot of animosity in your own self. You don't want that (laughs) going forward. Understatement. Okay. (laughs) Here's the other piece about that. It's much easier to get that first draft done, which is why I call it the four-hour book. The point of the four-hour book is to get the first draft done. Once you get it done, then we can make it pretty. And look at this at the level of other artists. If you go back to some of the best artwork you've seen in the world, they've been timeless, Picasso's and so forth. They have these tools now you can analyze and look all the way down below the paint. And you'll see rough sketches of what they were going to paint. That's what you're really doing with the outline and the first draft of your book is you're getting the rough sketches. After that, we make it beautiful. And then you have an editor make it even more beautiful. So let's get it out and then editing and making it beautiful afterward. That's outlining all the details. No, that makes sense. I'm a second draft guy. I can do two drafts, first draft, come back, do a second draft, and then I never want to see the dang thing again. And let the editors do their work, you know, oh, yeah. and, and I'm You're lucky. You're always going to find another little detail. I'm married to an editor and she's amazing at it. And if there's a book that's done with one spelling error, it drives her nuts. So it's, <laughs> it's like, she's meticulous. Like it's a superpower. It, it just is. They don't make movies about super editors, but boy, if there was, she'd be there. And like I say, it's getting those ideas. And I've always used this as a formula. What I'll do is, and I'm curious how you would do it. Let's say you're talking on a subject area and maybe it needs a little more depth. I believe in what I call Uh stimulus response. So a lot Uh of times I keep notes on different things. If I read things that are real gems and I write them down, and often it's a matter of taking one idea and another idea and putting those two ideas together and coming out with a third idea that you would have never got to. And then give the proper attribution. If you're borrowing something from somebody, that actually adds credibility to your book. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're sourcing it and now all of a sudden you might see new patterns. So it Uh might be, it's kind of like Hershey's chocolate kisses, you know, dollar 99 a bag, bag of pretzels, buck 99 a bag, Mm -hmm. but chocolate covered pretzels. $4.99 $4.99 a bag. So yep. you come up with a new angle or a new way to do it because there, it doesn't seem to be a lot new. It's just how it's prepared and how the message is delivered because mm-hmm. the, it's the messenger that really matters. And I think that's what people are buying is the story, the message, and the person delivering that message. Don't you? Oh, absolutely. Let's put it like this. I'm sitting in a truck. I drive a Nissan. Pops drives a Cadillac. My mom used to love her Lexus. My sister likes her Jeeps. Okay. But they're all a vehicle on four wheels. Right. It's what is your flavor? What's going to connect with you? Right. And what I mean by that, as far as it relates to the books, is like there's nothing new under the sun. All this information is regurgitated. Now, there's some more tweaks as we have new technology. Now we get to understand how that new technology, but that new technology is a new way of doing the same thing. Okay. Just tools. We go They're from just tools. Tilling the yeah. soil by hand. Yeah. And now we got a machine to help us till the soil. So now we got a whole big old massive machine that does it all for all of it. Okay. Yeah. It's the same thing. People talk similar to the AI situation. Cause that's basically what's happening. The AI is going and looking at all the information out there and giving it to you, saying, here's what the world has said. But it doesn't have your angle. It doesn't have your perspective. It doesn't have your story. It doesn't have your beliefs into it. It doesn't have your experience put into it. And that's what people are connected to. Most people, 
who are really trying to learn a subject, they'll read multiple books or multiple articles about the same subject. Why? Right. Because they want to see how you said it and how you said it and you said it. And from all of those different angles, now I know what I want to say. So it's about infusing it in there because if you say the same thing I read in the last article, I'm going to move on to the next one. Right. You need to give me something new. you got this personal story that explained this. I'm like, oh, I never thought of it. And you said it this multiple times right here. You know a lot of the stuff I'm talking about. Right. But there's things you're like, huh, I never thought about it from that angle. This right. is how I thought about it. That's what needs to happen. Our books need to stimulate the brain and that creativity to make people want to do something. I help people write transformational books. If you're trying to create a transformational book, you need to have the idea of that blue ocean, kind of what you're talking about, yeah. taking two concepts and putting them together. We're creating a blue ocean. And another piece of that, a very key piece of this, and it's specifically focused on marketing, is creating an identity for your reader. That's another way of separating them from everyone else. Okay. There are plenty of books on productivity, but there's a reason why that they get things done. GTD blew up so much. It was not only because of the marketing, but it created a whole identity. I'm a GTD person. There's so many ways of creating identity, but you have to choose that entity and inject it into your book. So people transform into that identity and embrace it at the end of your book. And now they're going to teach your principles, which are the same as another person over here, but because you gave them an identity, they feel different. Well, it's almost creating an avatar for your book. Who's it going to? And that's what but, I think. But you're... The next, the next iteration of the avatar, because we know about avatars and that's great marketing. But what makes brands last for a long time is someone saying, I am this. They're taking on this identity of right. something completely different. Excellent. That's a great insight. And it's something that should be addressed before you write the book, perhaps. And I know you've kind of talked about it. Should your marketing yeah. strategy come before, during, or after writing the book? And why? And I think that goes to the why of it. Oh, absolutely. I call it securing the bag. Okay. I want people to think profit first. Think profit first. So- the word profit, there's three definitions that I've used, and that's why I call it securing the bag. What is the benefit, advantage, or gain that you're going to get from this book? You need to determine, as the author, what benefit am I going to get from writing this book and publishing this book? What advantage or what gain am I going to get from publishing this book? Once I've done that, I know how it's going to help me. Now I write the book for my avatar, for my ideal reader. But I need to know what I'm getting out of it first, because now if I'm writing the book to get on more stages then I need to make sure stories in there about me speaking and talking and so forth. If I'm writing the book to get more people to buy my software, I need to subtly talk about software, but I'm still teaching. But that helps me write the right words to get what I want from Because at the end of the day, I'm still wanting to get something from this book. Right. Nobody's truly altruistic. Okay? No, there's no, it's right. <laughs> if you think you are being altruistic, I want to change lives. Yeah, because it makes you feel good to change lives. It's not fully right. altruistic. No, well, when it comes to writing, you know, I have friends who are very, let's call them true artists, and they do their art for the sake of art and the mm -hmm. commercial aspect of it is i don't i sell out like if i'm writing a book i want that thing to sell a ton of them and yeah. so i really respect writers who are real writers you know what i call it mm -hmm. i don't view myself as a writer matter of fact i sent my books to my english teachers because they were shocked as i was you know mm -hmm. as, as far because i never set out that way but it's really having that purpose mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Where were you in class? But it's really about deciding what's the purpose of this? Is it an ego piece? Because a lot of people do say, oh, it's just about your ego. Well, it can be, but whatever the reason, if it's got a good message, a good story, and it's serving a purpose, then who cares? In my opinion, it's the best brochure on the planet. 
So on my business card, it has best-selling author. People go, oh, what have you written? There's the opening. I'm right into the yep. conversation. So it does go to our status and it does help. So a lot of people, okay, they buy into it. They're going, hey, I got to write a book. I got to get my ideas out there. And you've written about this and you've talked about it just briefly, but what are your thoughts on procrastination, perfectionism, and imposter syndrome? Because those are three variables that impact a lot of people and stop them from doing this. So how do we overcome that? Three things here. First and foremost, it's a fantastic question. That's why I wrote the whole second book about it. I know it for myself. There's so many authors who are authors now that have wanted to write the book for years. Right. Something was stopping them. It needed to be right. I needed to say this right. And what if they don't like me? Like all those things. Me, 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 me. And that's the first thing. Stop being selfish. If God has put something on your heart to transform a life, because a book is going to transform lives, people you never meet. Right. And it may do it in the next generation mm-hmm. or the generation after that, right? So if that's what you're supposed to be doing to transform our next life and you're keeping it to yourself, you're being selfish. First and foremost, you're being selfish. Stop being selfish. It's not about you. And then you hear some speakers talk about if you're too nervous on stage, it's because you're focused on what you have to say as opposed to making sure they get the message. It's a similar idea here with writing the book. Stop worrying about you need to say this and how you're going to be looked at, and who are you going to transform? If my book transforms two lives, it did its job. Now, I wanted this to transform 200,000, right? but it is what it is. Right. Now, the second thing here, as far as the procrastination, is that Tim Pitchell, a guy who, a researcher and scientist, talks about procrastination. He talks about the idea of people not forgiving themselves. Mm. So one of the key things that you should think about is if you've been procrastinating and beating yourself up about it, it's time to forgive yourself for not having done what you said you're going to do. That forgiveness begins the process of healing from the procrastination, the hurt and the pain that you've done to yourself because of beating yourself up mentally and emotionally from not doing what you know you should have done. Mm. Forgiveness, that's number two, okay? Mm -hmm. And so number three is accountability. And here's the thing about accountability. There's research out of Dominican University out of California, okay? Dr. Gail Matthews is her name, Dr. Gail Matthews. She did a research on goal setting. So there's some research out there that talks about people being in like Harvard or Stanford University graduating and 40 years later, 5% of them, all that goes, there's no research. There's no evidence of that research ever being conducted, but it's been passed around from speakers for decades at this point. But there is research out of Dominican University, out of California. Dr. Gail Matthews talks about five pieces to achieving your goals. One, setting a goal. Two, writing that goal down. Three, breaking that goal down into actionable steps. Four, giving those actionable steps to someone to hold you accountable. Five, regular check-in. It increases your chances of hitting your goal by over 40%. Makes sense. <laughs> okay. No, it so makes if sense. If you don't have a writing coach or someone yeah. to writing buddy, the things of that nature to go with you, get that to help you overcome your procrastination because it's the goal of finishing this book in a certain amount of time and someone going along with you and you having to show up every week and saying, yeah, I didn't do it. Or yes, I did it. Let's get an boy or a girl. No, you make a very valid point. And if people are really, really serious about it, I would encourage them really to seriously consider your program, The Wealthy Author Roadmap and how to get that done. Because I'll give you an example. I'm in my 60s now and mm-hmm. I'm in a men's group, but I've hired outside coaches who specialize in guys in my age bracket on how to stay in shape, get in good shape. And the goal is to get a six pack. 
the goal is a six pack. We won't work with you unless your goal is to get a six pack. And I'm going, I don't need a six pack. I'm 63. I don't need a six pack. And they're going, well, we don't want to work with you then. I'm like, really? Is it? And all the other, there's guys who have six packs and they're 68 years old, seven years old. And so they work on nutrition and strength and activity. Well, I started mm -hmm. this thing and wow, the, the pounds are coming off. The muscles are showing up. I've still quite a few points away from getting a six pack. I'm more of a keg right now, but <laughs> hey, but I'm working on it. But my accountability every week, everything I do, everything I track, I'm accountable to these people and it makes me do it. It's kind of like working out with a trainer. You always work out stronger with a trainer than you do by yourself. And so having somebody accountable, if they're really serious about it, to me, this mm -hmm. goes without saying they need somebody and you'd be a great coach for people and you understand them, you understand the process. Let's talk about that process a little bit. They can go to your website and you've got a 60 minute video that gives them a full yep. overview of the signature book formula, but you cover yep. four or five P's in there that are yep. the structure. Let's talk about the structure a little bit about the process you follow. Excellent. Excellent. So there are five phases in the signature book formula. And each of these phases has two steps in it. And I like acronyms because it makes it easier, a teacher in me. So it actually follows signature book. Right. Okay. The first phase is your prep phase. We're talking about what is your setup? So where are you going to write? I trick people into being productive. What I do is right. I have them pre-sell the book before they've written the book. So now you actually have to write the book or you just sold books to your friends and family that will never get them. And yeah, you got to face them. That's <laughs> okay. good. A little peer pressure goes a long way. <laughs> I don't do it for everybody, but some of them, I feel like as a coach, you kind of start figuring out, all right, I'm going right. to give you another extra push. Right. All right. So set up and then intent. And that goes back into the idea of securing the bag, how you're going to think proper first. Next phase, we start going into the planning phase, which is your G and the N, gathering information. Get the information all collected into one area before you start writing. I might do a research on bestseller status and other information that's out in the world so you can give your perspective on it. What does the world know now so you can do your perspective? As we right. just talked about a little while ago. The end is a narrow down. So now we take all the information, we put it down into a streamlined outline for one reader solving one problem. One reader solving one problem. Why do you do that? One, because I can create more books for the other problems. So right. now I have a series and you look more prolific. Two, is people don't go in there trying to learn everything about everything anymore. They used to do that, you're right, encyclopedias, all right? Now people want to know one problem. So just solve one problem from the market right now, okay? That's interesting. We go into next person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Instead <laughs> of a full cookbook, you're writing the whole book on recipes on chicken, then do another book on beef, another book on pork, whatever. You see be. that in the marketplace right now? Right. <laughs> Excellent. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Now, and again, it makes you prolific. The next phase is the production phase, okay? And the production phase, we're talking about the author and touch-up. So authoring, getting the book out very quickly using the strategy we already spoke about for brain strategy and speaking it out. And the touch-up phase is more of the editing. We got, I give a seven-step editing, self-editing process using AI and different questions, prompts saying, go look at the book for these things. Go look at the book for these things. So I give a process how to do that. And I use a story formula, which is the process I use to teach people how to write content that is persuasive. Sure. Okay. Using elements of psychology and sales and storytelling all wrapped into one and teaching from both sides of the brain. Like that a hero's course, journey, course. got a problem, guide pops in. Similar to that, that's just the T portion. The S stands for a statement. What is this whole chapter about? Right. The T stands for tell a story. So that's where you may have some of that hero's journey may in there or a case study, which is a five-part process for business case studies, okay? Sure. Not as long. The O stands for what is the obstacle they're facing in this chapter? What is the opportunity because of the obstacle? What are the objectives or what are the steps you're going to do? And what objections are the reader going to have to doing the steps? So you want to overcome them. That's, again, all part of psychology and persuasion. The R stands for review. 
So you're going to go back and say, this is how it's worked in my business for other people. So these are the reviews from other people, testimonies right. or referral references. And then you have other R stands for reviewing the chapter. So like, what did you just talk about? The Y stands for, yes, your ensuing step. What is the next step? Either you're going to tell them to go take some action, go download something or answer some questions or whatever, or you're going to lead into the next chapter because you want to leave it off. They're like, oh my God, they read a chapter and it's like, oh, wait, wait a minute. I need to know the next part. So want to hook them. Now they're going to go into the next part. You want to start stuff. You're hooking to the next chapter. Okay. So that's the story formula that I teach in a touch-up phase. So people to write a persuasive chapters. Okay. Then this is the R, which is review. And the E is exhibition. So the review obviously is going to editors and having experts do what experts do. You're not an expert in editing. You're not an expert in graphic arts or formatting. So let the experts do what the experts do and pay them to do it. The E is exhibition. So where are you going to put this book on display? Right. And that's not only on the big places like Amazon and going out to Barnes and Noble, all those other places out there that you can put your book. And there's a lot of places to put your books, a lot of them. Um, put them out there, but also on your own website. And since you're putting on your own website, you're creating your own sales funnel, which moves into the last piece, which is profiting. How are you going to profit from the book? Uh, excuse me, I said, I skipped the letter. The U and the, the U and the R is unique and reviews and then exhibit and, and right. book. Right. Okay. The book portion is about getting booked on stages. It's getting people on your books. It's about writing more books, audio books, different versions of it. It's about making profit from the book. And that is talking about where does your lead magnet or what are you leading people to do in the book? Somewhere they go to a download, maybe upsells and so forth. And that book sales funnel, the sales funnel, the book sales funnel could be to buy more of your products. It could lead to people, again, getting you on stages like podcasts and so forth. So is there a funnel that I use to get on, on podcasts? Yes. I send a simple email out. There's a follow-up email that has more information and it's a couple of my books in there. And then there's a booking of it. There's a whole process. But how do we do all that? That is the last phase of the well, and I think you show that and how to, how to leverage that book. So you're not just running it for yep. bookstores. It's how to leverage it into a speaking career, if necessary, how to consulting career, breakaway yes. products, coaching products, coaching services, and you're leveraging. Like I it's say, all you, in the book. you wrote the book, I wish I had, and I followed that <laughs> process. And well, even to the podcast, becoming preferred led to my keynote talking, which led to training programs mm -hmm. and coaching programs, which led to the podcast. And then of course, Google loves content. And so mm -hmm. if you do a search, I just show up and the podcast creates tons of content. So it, mm -hmm. you never know where it leads to, but it does lead to good things. Let me ask you this question. You're no stranger. I mean, you've done well, but you're also no stranger to setbacks. So do you have any tips on how to come back better and stronger after a setback? Oh, absolutely. So I've, that first book I talked about being locked up, I wrote it for my kids. So again, notice why I talk about writing you, one reader, one, yeah. problem, one problem. I wrote that book for my kids, but so many people are like, oh my God, I feel like you were talking directly to me. Right. That's what happens when you write the book properly. They feel like you're talking to them. Right. But I wrote about Good point. unlimited potential, how to tap into your unlimited potential, how to stop living with fear, doubt, and uncertainty. What I found in my experience with working a lot of people, life coaching and things of that nature, doing recovery, they have a lot of fear. There's doubt and there's uncertainty about because of the setback and whether they can actually come out of it and become the better person, become the person they want to become, become the person that God wanted them to become. And what I found out is one, you have to have a goal. And people look at what is my purpose in life? And I find it difficult for people to find a purpose. It was hard for me to find a purpose. But right. what I do know is God can't steer a parked car. What I mean by that is you got to start moving to what you believe is your personal mission. And along the way, God is going to guide you going to bring people, places, things, ideas into your way to say, oh, make this turn here, make right. this turn here. We're going to guide you to where he wants you to go, or you can call it God, light, universe, earth, whatever you want to call it, is going to guide you to where they want you to be in this life. 
okay, to help the next person. But you got to have a personal mission going towards it and start going after it. Define it and go after it. The other three pieces are aligning your attitude, your beliefs, and your commitments towards achieving that personal mission. And that's what the whole process and the whole book is about is how do I get the right attitude? Because your attitude connects your words you're saying to yourself to your thinking. Right? That is the bridge between those two. Your belief system, you're not going to act on anything that you don't believe that you can do. So your beliefs, which you may borrow from someone else for the time being, get around the right people, places, and things. Charlie Tremendous Jones said that you will be the same place in five years, except for the books you read and the people you meet. So are you reading the right books and getting around the right people to change your belief set so that the things that they're most of they're going on inside of you and the actions that you take are connected, get the right beliefs, then your commitments. People make actions and they don't commit to them. That's why they don't get their success. They start and they stop. They start and stop. Well, when we start learning on our commitments and really figuring out how to commit to things, we start bridging our actions and our habits. I got to focus on what I'm committed to doing and eliminate everything else. I like to say like this, keep the main thing, the main thing. That's right. it. And exactly. I do mean thing. T-H-A-N-G. Main thing, the main thing. Well, this has certainly been a delight, Fortune, and really appreciate you sharing your insights. And again, I would really encourage anyone who's looking to add to their professional credential, or if you're looking to expand your business and you're looking for a great way to enhance your credibility and authority, a book's the way to do it. And if you need a guide, dear Orlando Fortune, what's the best way for people to find you and engage with you? Excellent. You can find me at D Orlando Fortune all over these internet streets. That's D Orlando and the Orlando is spelled like Orlando, Florida, but with an A, D Orlando Fortune, all of the internet streets. Or you can go to signaturebookformula.com. Go there. There's a 16 minute video for anyone. It's only for people that are ready to write the book right now. If you're not ready to write the book, go find me on it and get my free stuff. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Well, and you're very generous. So we'll put all that information on the show notes as well. And like I say, lots of great information and insights and from someone who knows how to do it and make it happen. Fortune, real pleasure having you on board, man. And thanks for sharing your stuff. So thank you for being part of the, the broadcast. Oh, I appreciate it. God bless. This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My executive producer is Beth Smith and director of research, Tori Smith. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting. This podcast is subject to copyright by Summit Media. Goodbye.